Okay, well, we are in the book of Habakkuk. Or uh, I can never say this. They, the uh, Jewish people, they have, a, they have this kind of guttural sound. So Habakkuk. Yeah, unfortunately, all those sitting in the front row really wish they hadn't sat there now. But Habakkuk is one of those books. Here we are in the Minor Prophets. Three chapters long. And one of the pieces of the book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk was a prophet that we, we don't really know anything about. He's not mentioned in other places. But he's quoted three times in the New Testament. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But his whole book is a dialogue with God. It's his dialogue because he has a question. You ever have a question for God? Hey God, what's going on here? Well, that's what's going on with Habakkuk. It is going to be uh, him having this dialogue with God back and forth about, hey God, I don't understand. And so as he talks with God, uh, he doesn't give us a whole lot of other things. A lot of the, the, the prophets will say, uh, I prophesied during the reign of so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and one of the, the best we can figure out is we know that he's, he is from the tribe or from the area of Judah and that he's prophesying mostly to the, the uh, Judean uh, Christians of the southern kingdom because the northern kingdom went into captivity in 722. The Syrians took them, took them out. They're not seen anymore. And uh, it seems that he is prophesying during a time when there's a number of evil kings. And so if we look at our timeline, um, am I on? Oh, let's see. Helps to turn it on. If we look at our timeline, uh, we would put him in with... uh, Jehoiakim um, and, and Zedekiah. And Zedekiah actually ends up um, being at the fall of Judah in 586. Jehoiaz is an evil king that's about 609. So we're going to put him in that 600 B.C. range. Getting close to the end when the Babylonians are going to come and, and take out the... But these kings that are there, every time, if you go into, uh, if you look at 2 Kings 23, 24, is when this is, and you'll read, and so-and-so reigned, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Or he followed in the evil of his father, and he continued to do it. They were evil kings. They had forsaken God. The, the temple had been, uh, matter of fact, if you go, uh, Josiah was the last king to actually have somebody read the scriptures. And they found it. It was lost in the rubble. <laughs> it was buried in the temple, and Josiah found it. And, and he read it, and they had a little bit of revival. But these last kings, they're just evil. And the, the priests are apostate. They have, they have all of this stuff going on uh, in the temple where they're bringing in idols. It's just a terrible time. 
and Habakkuk is sent to prophesy, and he's like going, God, why are you letting them get away with it? You ever feel like asking that today? Amen. But Habakkuk's name is embracer. Habakkuk means to embrace. Now some of you, uh, you, on occasion, you get a little, what I call a drive-by hugging, right? I'm a hugger, I like to hug, and uh, you'll get a drive-by hugging sometime even if you don't want one. But uh, when we talk about this embrace, I mean, we could call him Habakkuk the hugger. And I don't know whether he went around hugging, but when he talks about being the embracer, it is who God is. God is the embracer. And I really like, this is a quote from Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, back during the Reformation. And he says this about Habakkuk. One who embraces another takes him in his arms. He embraces his people and takes them in his arms in that he comforts them and holds them up as one embraces a weeping child to quiet it with the insurance that if God wills, it will soon be better. That's our Abba Father, right? Our Daddy. How many of you were... As a little kid, right, you, you would go and you'd get hurt. And I, I was always amazed by this. I could watch one of my kids come in and they would, they would be doing okay until they saw me. And as soon as they saw me, what happened? Oh, it hurt so bad. And all what, what they wanted, and I'd scoop them up. And give them a big, big hug. And we'd cry it, let them cry it out. And then we'd go and clean it up. And that's that embrace. That embrace. One of the, one of the things in my, in, in my thought is I always remember my dad. I would, when we would be coming home late at night. And I would be in the back seat. And I would always fake like I was asleep. Because I knew that if I did, my daddy would scoop me up. And I can remember to this day, my dad had a really bad five o'clock shadow. <laughs> but I would, I would snuggle up right up against, right up against him. And I can just, I, to this day, I can remember the smell and the feel of my father cradling me in his arms as he carried me into the house. That is the embracer that... Habakkuk is talking about. He's talking about our God, the embracer, the one who loves us that much. So let's look at the first four verses of Habakkuk. And this first chapter, we're going to start with the question. The question that Habakkuk asks. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. 
Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld and the wicked surround the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. He questions God. What is going on? And he's not talking about other nations. He's talking about the people of Judah. God, what? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why? Why aren't you coming down and, and, and telling your people and making your people behave? As a prophet, he probably got pretty frustrated because his job was to what? To preach and say, you need to change. Now, that's, we don't like to hear that, do we? How many people like to hear, you need to change? You know, we do pretty good until somebody tells us you need to stop doing what you're doing because it's wrong and do what's right. And that's the question they have. And we could, we could ask that today, couldn't we? We'd look at, we could look at our nation. We could look at our state. We could look at our church. But what else could we look at? We could look at ourselves. I need to change. But Habakkuk is frustrated. Why aren't you doing something? You're, he, he feels like he's caught because he's praying and God's not answering. And, and you know, the interesting thing is that God doesn't slap him down. God says, God's big enough to take your questions. But he wants us to move from questioning to something else. Now, I've shared a story before. I'm going to share it again just because it made such a profound impact in my life that, that took me from a place of questioning God, why, to asking God some very important questions. December 1st, 1974 was a Sunday. Much like today, it was that, that time of year when, when you can have good days and bad days. And on that particular Sunday, I had invited a friend of mine home. I was 17 years old. You can do the math. I'm 65. So I was 17 years old, and I had just finished my senior year in football. I was in the best shape of my life, and I had, I had, com I had completed my senior year with almost a perfect season, I missed four offensive plays for the Lebanon High School Warriors. I was the center and the four plays that I missed was because I had had pneumonia that week and the doctor wouldn't let me go to school and, and the second string guy went in and on the fourth play he fumbled the ball, fumbled the snap to the quarterback and my coach said, get in there. I had missed four plays all that season, and I was good. I was really good at snapping the ball. I did not have one missed snap the entire season. Not one fumble. My coach had told me in our last game of the season that there were scouts from some colleges that were looking at me. I was, uh, my mom would tell you I played school so that I could go to football. December 1st, 1974, my friend and I were out. We'd had dinner, had lunch, and, 
and we went out and we were down by the Sananiam River. My mom lives two and a half blocks from there. And how many of you ever seen the Christmas story? The little boy, what does he want? He wants the Red Ryder BB gun. And what does mama say? You're going to shoot your eye out. And that day, a BB ricocheted off a rock and hit my glasses right center and shattered glass into my left eye. I sent my friend up to get my mom and dad, said, have them meet me in the parking lot of the park. And they brought the station wagon around, picked me up. We made the quick dash into Lebanon Community Hospital, and they said, we can't do anything for you here. We're calling Dr. Lees over in Lebanon. He'll meet you at Albany General Hospital. He took me into emergency surgery. I had five stitches across the cornea of my left eye. I had lost all of my lens inside of there. My eye turned white from all the vitreous that went into the capsule there. And he picked out all the glass that he could. Well, one of the problems is he uh, normally he did all his surgery and he had a whole team there that would help him. Well, nobody told me that when I woke up, both my eyes would be bandaged. So I go into surgery, and because they didn't have a, a regular recovery room team, they put me in ICU. And I woke up, and I had bandages across both my eyes because of the sympathetic reaction. He didn't want anything to disrupt those sutures in my cornea. And I went nuts. I was blind. And I began, I had tubes all over the place. I had oxygen up my nose. I was grabbing stuff. And my mom yelled for help. And the nurses came in and they, they, they finally calmed me down enough to say, you're okay. You're in the hospital. And the only reason you can't see is because you got bandages on both eyes. For the next five days, I laid in Albany General Hospital with bandages across both my eyes. Can't watch television. Can't read. You have, all, all you can do is lay there and what? Think. And what do you think I started out with? Hey, God, what's going on here? The doctor came in on Monday morning and the first question I asked the doctor was, will I ever play football again? I didn't ask him how the surgery went. I said, will I ever play football again? He said, no. He said, if you sustain a, a hit to the left side of your head, you will lose that eye. He said, you will never play football again. And I sat there in that bed thinking, well, I had a wonderful pastor, Pastor Matt Flood. Matt was a tall man. I think he had like size 14 shoes. And they were wingtips with leather soles. And in those days, the hallways at the Albany General were, were linoleum. And I would hear him come. And I would say, Pastor Matt's coming. And then when his wife came with him, she was five foot nothing and she would be. So I'd say, Pastor Matt and Lorraine are coming. To see me. And he came every single day. And one day we had that, 
uh, it was either Monday or Tuesday, because I was just like, I was mad. The one thing I loved doing that I was really good at, God took away from me. And I'll never forget that day what Matt said. He said, don't ask why. Ask what? God, what do you want to do in my life? How are you going to use this for your glory? What do you, where do you want me to go with this? And it fundamentally changed the way I viewed the world. Because I could sit there and I could mope and be bitter and angry at God. Or I could say, okay, God, what are you trying to do? And that day, that week, God said, okay, hang on, because we're going for a ride. I never, I mean, I took all the easy classes. I took drafting and electrical, and I took wood shop and auto mechanics. And God said, guess what? You're going to college. <laughs> and I, I had, I got, I, I had one point high enough to get into the college that I went to. And then God, a year later, said, hey, I want you to go to Liberty, what's now Liberty University at that time, Liberty Baptist College, and I'm going to pay for it. My uncle called up and said, hey, if you go to this college, I'll pay your tuition. And so I went to, went there, and God took me in a direction I never knew I would go. Don't ask why, ask what? And that's what God is going to tell Habakkuk. He's going to say, listen, you really, I don't think you really want the answer because you're not going to like it. So let's look at Habakkuk and watch God answer him. He said, look among the nations and observe. Be astonished and wonder because I am doing something in your days, that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's Babylonia, the fierce and impetuous people who march without throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than the wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like the eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect the captives like sand. They mock the kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress. They heap up rubble to capture it. And then they, will, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, those whose strength is their God. God says, okay, you ask, I am going to answer you. I'm going to send the Babylonians. The one people that they were terrified of. And God had repelled them before. They, they had tried before, but God said, they're coming. They're going to come, and 
these were not good people. These were not the nice guys. Now, the Babylonians, if you go back and read the book of Daniel, right, that was the ones that, and they would call off some of the, some of the, the smartest, the brightest, the best, and they would haul them home and they would teach them their language and make them as part of their advisors because they wanted those people. But everybody else, they would leave the least, the slaves, to, to, they would give them all of these vineyards. You guys take care of these. We're going to take all the, all the brightest and best, and the rest of them they would slaughter. And poor Habakkuk was, was like, what? When you question God, you may not like the answer. Because God says, listen, you, you probably wanted me to come down and send a pestilence, right? Because he'd done that before. Maybe you wanted me to send locusts through to eat up your crops. Maybe you wanted me to, to send a, a drought to get your attention. And God says, that's all past. Now I'm going to send the Babylonians and they're going to wipe you out. And Habakkuk does not like that answer. Look at uh, what he says uh, as Habakkuk answers God in uh, verses 12 through 17. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the Abrahamic promise said what? You will always have a king. And by all nations you will, be, you will bless the world through you. We're not going to be totally destroyed. But he says this. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. You, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up and those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. They, therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net, they burn incense to their fishing net because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Do you see what he's saying? We're better than they are. You should be judging them. And he brings up this whole thing in the end about fishing. Now, why in the world would he do that? The Babylonians, they, they worshipped Dagon. Here's a picture of Dagon. Half man, half fish. That's who they worshipped. You see what he says down there in the end when he talks about they offer sacrifice to their net, they burn incense to their fishing net. He's talking about the fact these Pagan people don't even believe in you. They worship Dagon. 
And if you want to read an interesting story, go back uh, and read what happened in when the, uh, the, the Philistines, who also worshipped Dagon, when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they, put it, they took it and they put it in Dagon's temple. And what happened? <laughs> he fell over. And, and so they, they propped him back up, and the next night, guess what happened? And this next time he broke in two. He said, this is the God you worship. But that's who they worship. And, and he's saying, God, why? Why won't you punish them? Well, there's going to be an answer. But, but he takes a minute. Habakkuk takes a minute. And look at chapter 2, verse 1. He cries out to God and says, it's not fair. Have you ever done that to God? It's not fair. I did it to my dad once. Once. It's not fair. He said, I'll show you fair. No. But, but he, he, God says, you're right. If it was fair, I'd wipe you all out. But I want you to look at what Habakkuk does. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Now, he kind of knew that he was in trouble. He said, but I'm going to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord sometimes is hard, but we need to learn to wait on God to answer. Because we get in a hurry, don't we? God, I want you to answer right now. Give me the answer. And God says, I'm preparing Babylon, and I will indeed deal with Babylon. But you need to be able to wait for the answer. And that's what he does. Sometimes when we want the answer the most, we need to step back and take a waiting. Step back and listen to what God has for us. And if we don't, sometimes he imposes us. Maybe he'll give us five days in the hospital to think about this. Sometimes God says, listen, I want you to, I want you, want, want, you just need to wait. I'm working. What did God say? He said, uh, you'll be astonished. You'll wonder because I am doing something even when you can't see it. Because what happens? We get so focused on the problem, we forget to look past the problem and see what God's doing. Because, oh man, this problem's bad. These finances are bad. This relationship's bad. This illness is bad. And when we can stop for a minute and say, okay, God, I'm going to listen and I'm going to wait. And that's what Habakkuk did. He said, I'm going to wait. And God tells us to do that over and over again. David writes about it in Psalms 27. I would have despaired 
unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I can see goodness even in the midst of my despair, even in the midst of whatever problem I'm facing. And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. And then he says it again, yes, wait on the Lord. What does God do when we wait? He strengthens us, but what's the other part? Let your heart take courage. We need to let God heal our heart sometimes. Because when we can move to the point where God is working in our heart and saying, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I don't have to. He began to encourage us. He gives us that courage. And then just by waiting on the Lord. And of course, there's, there's one that we quote quite often in Isaiah. And I want to turn there because... Quite often we just read the last couple of verses, but look at Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to go all the way back to 27 because this is, in, this is the, the context of what we're going to read in 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God. What is that? That's a question. They're questioning God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is unscrutable, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though the youth grows weary and tired, and vigorously young men stumble badly. Now we come to the part that we always quote. But where did it start? It started with questioning God about, don't you see my problem? But what is God's answer? Those who... Wait. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know, I shared my story about how on December 1st, 1974, I was in the best shape of my life. What I found is when I came home from the hospital, I slept about 20 hours a day. My, my body, my whole body was focused on healing my eye. I, I just, I couldn't do things that I normally would do. Normally I would be down at the gym working out, lifting weights several days a week. And I couldn't do that. But... Over time, God says, you know what? I'm going to let you, I'm going to, I'm going to strengthen you again. I discovered soccer. My first year in college, God says, I, it's okay, you can play soccer. I'll let, you, I'll let you get back into sports. And by the end of that summer, 
in, uh, I was going to be going to school in August. By, by July, I was running from Waterloo to Lebanon and back several times a week. I was in really good shape. God says, I'm going to renew your strength because I have a new vision for you. I have a new task for you. God's going to, God will renew our strength if we what? Wait on him. Well, God's going to answer in Habakkuk. God is going to answer him. And he's going to tell him what's going to happen in verses in the rest of the chapter, but I want to focus on verses 2 to 4. This is God's, the beginning of God's answer. And then the Lord answered me, record the vision. Inscribe it on tablets, that one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by what? Faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And he's going he's to go on down through the rest of chapter 2 and tell how he's going to going to take care of Judge Babylon, but not before he does what he said he will do. He says, wait for it. He says, even write it down. You ever write stuff down and say, okay, God, here's where we're at. I want to see what you're going to do. I encourage people, uh, when I teach the class on uh, spiritual maturity, one of the things we talk about is keeping a prayer journal. Write it down. What are you praying for? And then write down a promise that God gives you out of the Bible. And then wait for the date. You date it on this end and then you see when God's going to answer. You want to have something that will build your faith? Oh, here it is. God answered on this date. God answered on this date. Now, will all of them get answered in a short order? No. But God will answer. Sometimes you may have some things that take years and years and years before God says and answers that. But one of the things that will strengthen our faith is when we write it down. What does he say? He says, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that one who reads it may run. In other words, make it big enough so you can see while in the middle of your day when you're like, okay, God, are you going to answer my... Well, there's, there it is. I wrote it for you. It's on the tablets. Read it. I said it was going to be okay. Believe it. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is a fundamental truth. Because not only does he write it here, it's recorded three times in the New Testament. They quote Habakkuk three times in the New Testament. First, it's quoted in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Now what is he talking about here? He's talking about salvation. All you've got to do is say, okay, God, I'm willing to believe. And God says, okay, that's all the faith I need. The faith that you will believe in me. And he says, if you'll do that, I'll give you faith to live that life. Because none of us could live the life that God has for us without his power. He says, revealed from faith to faith. He gives us faith for salvation. God gives us that opportunity. He says, listen, I'm going to give you enough faith to believe, and then if you'll follow me, you'll have faith for the rest of your life. Well, the second time it's used is in Galatians 3, 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. What's he say? He's talking about the Judaizers. The Judaizers were telling all of the Gentile Christians, hey, listen, you not only have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you have to follow the law. And if you follow the law, then you're going to be good Christians. And Paul says, time out. No one is justified by the law before God is evident. You couldn't keep the law. Why are you putting it on them? You know, acting right, being, being good, does that get you into heaven? No. I mean, the law can't get you into heaven. Good works can't get you into heaven. Your parents can't get you into heaven. And I got news for you. Going to church will not get you into heaven. It's having faith in who? Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. That's the only place we place our faith. The righteous man will live by faith. Well, he's going to quote it one more time in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to turn over there because, once again, the context is very important here. Hebrews, excuse me, we, got, we went one too far, didn't we? Sorry, there we go. Boy, that what trigger thumb today. What's going on? Hebrews chapter 35. Excuse me, 10, verse 35. Hebrews doesn't have 35 chapters. Good catch. You guys are, we're, we're, we're on this, right? So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. That's where I want to start. Because a lot of times we'll just read one or two verses and we leave it at that. But I want you to understand the context here. Beginning in verse 1035, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What is, what's another word for confidence? Faith. Faith. Do not throw away your faith, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet a very little while... He, is come, he, who, he who is coming will come and will not delay. 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, his soul has no pleasure in him. But we, do, we are not like those who shrink back in destruction, but those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. What's he talking about? Endurance, perseverance, for what? What's to come? He's saying, have faith, because we're, we, we put up our treasures in heaven where moth, moth or rust does not destroy. He says, your faith is not what's here on this earth, because this earth will pass away. We live in a human body that is going to die if Jesus doesn't come back. Our body's going to go in the ground and, and it's going to become worm food. Right? This is a temporary, this is, this is just a temporary dwelling. Jesus calls it what? He says, he says, I live in a tent. This is just a temporary dwelling. My place is in where? Heaven. I go to prepare a place for you, and in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. And if I go to prepare a place, I will do what? I will come and get you so that you can be with me how long? Forever and ever. He says, your faith will take you home. I love it. Who said that? Home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, oh Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open shores. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Amen? See, we have our faith is in what is to come. Because everything here on this earth is just temporary. Well, let's go back to Habakkuk. And I want to look at two other things real quickly in chapter 2. The first one is in verse 14. He says what? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, I don't know that that's happening right now, but one day it will. One day the earth will be filled with his glory. When he, when he comes back, for the thousand-year reign of Christ, he will sit, seat himself in Jerusalem, and all the world will come and worship. He says, look, it is coming. And then in verse 20, he says what? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. There's going to be a time when everybody stands before God Romans 14 tells us about it. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, if you believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be a good time. We're going to stand humbly before God as he says, Welcome home. I've been watching you. Here's the crown. 
that you can wear. There's five crowns that God promises to believers. And he's going to say, here you go. Here's your crown. He says, I, I, I'm going to show you now what I've been doing all through your life. You're going to see how I've worked and, and, and what you have done for me and how that's come out. But for those who don't know him as Savior, they're also going to bow before the Lord and they're going to be silent. The only word they're going to say is, you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then God's going to say, leave. He's going to cast them into the abyss forever and ever. God says, all the earth will be silent before him. We have no justification for for what he did. All we can say is, I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. My name is written in the book. It's right there. And Jesus is going to say, yes, it is. Or he's going to say, no, it's not. And people will stand. You you won't be able to plead anything. Well, we're going to come now to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a song you see up at the top it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word. That's a musical term. Chapter 3 is a song that he wrote because he's gone from what? He started with questioning God. Why haven't you? And God says, you don't want to know the answer, but I'm going to give it to you. And then when he hears what God has to say, he stands and he waits. And God restores his faith. And at the end of faith, he writes a song. And I'm not going to read the whole third chapter. I wish I had the music. He didn't give it to us. But he, he writes a song. And the song is about what God is going to do. And it's a beautiful song, but I want to focus on the last verse, uh, starting in verse 16. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I trembled. Boy, when you stand before God, your knees start knocking, don't they? He said... Their exaltation, oh, excuse me, um, because I must wait quietly for the day of what? Distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there will be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olive would fail, the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, though there be no cattle in the stalls. What is he saying? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But I want you to watch what happens when you have faith in what? In what's to come? What does he say? Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice. I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet. He has made me to walk on the high places. 
This is a picture of the ibex sheep in Israel. The cliff you see there is about a thousand feet tall. Can you see the, the baby goats down at the bottom? There's actually eight in there. I'm not going to quiz you. When he says, he has made my feet like hind feet had made me to walk in my high places. This is what he's talking about. These are the sheep. These are the hinds that he's talking about. They literally climb up these vertical cliffs. God has made them. They start at three days old. You see the little babies there? They can literally walk up the side of these cliffs. This is what God is telling us. He says, when you're on your cliff, when you think you can go no higher, when you think you're about to fall, I will hold you in the high places. I will hold you on the cliff. You see, we think we're all alone. But God has us. God does not allow us to be on the side of that cliff without holding us there. He puts us in the position where even though we can't see the way out, God says, put your foot here and then put your foot there. Before my knees betrayed me, I used to rock climb. And I would take kids out on, up on Smith Rock and I would teach them to climb. And I loved taking little kids out. Now I sit at the bottom and just belay. But we put them on a rope, put them in a harness. We we're anchored at the top. And they begin climbing. And sometimes we, we get to the place where we, they think they can't move any further. And sitting down at the bottom, I can say, okay. I want you to move your right foot. There's a little knob. Just move your right foot over until you feel that. And they'll very tentatively move over. I've got you. You're on belay. And they'll put their foot there, and then I'll say, okay, now just up above you is a little, little knob right up there. I want you to push off with your right foot and grab that knob, and they'll, they're just waiting to fall. And you know what they do? They just push off, and they grab that. That's what God does for us. He says, you can't see all the little places that I have for you that has a foothold here and a handhold here, but I have you. You cannot fall because you're mine. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will put your feet in the, in the high, I will make you walk in the high places. Amen. All right. We're going to come to communion now. As we come to communion, one of the things that just, to me, is, I, I think of those 12 that sat around the table. At the time that all of that was going on, the Jewish leaders were looking for Jesus to kill him. And I think the disciples probably figured we're right behind him. 
Matter of fact, what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, I'll go to the death for you. And Jesus said, well, not so much. You're going to deny me three times where the crock crows. But Jesus said, listen, guys, I want you to understand. Your faith is not in yourselves. Your faith is in what I'm about to do. He said, in hours from now, when, when you see me taken down off the cross, my body will be broken. My face will be emaciated from all of the blows that have taken place. My back will be shredded from the cat of nine tails. My body's going to be broken for you. And he took the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, which is shed for the remission of sin. Drink it in remembrance of me. He says, says, guys, you, you don't understand this yet. But I'm going to give you the foundation of faith on the cross. I'm going to give you the foundation of faith with an empty tomb. And if you can trust in that, you will change the world. And they did. Those 11 created the beginnings of what we see here today. But they had to have faith. They couldn't see the cross yet. They couldn't see Jesus dead on the cross. They couldn't see that. And they couldn't even wrap their mind around the resurrection until they went to the empty tomb. Until Thomas had to see his hands and his feet. He said, he said listen. It's all about what's to come. 